0: Welcome back to There Will Be Movies, this is a podcast looking at 25 of our favourite movies from a chosen decade, volume 3 is the 90s, we are running out of road because this is episode 73, Office Space, uh, the quintessential, hey work sucks man, uh, movie of the 90s, also the definitive high stakes office cubicle based chase scene of 1999, Um, you won't find a better one. In a movie that came out in '99, my name is Matt Waters. I'm joined by Ben Phillips, who is furious that the other office cubicle-based chase film, The Matrix, could not be covered. But hopefully, uh, he will he will respect Office Space's yeah. attempt at uh, you chasing. You know what's a good? You know what's a good movie? What Office Space? Office Space. Yeah, I agree. But also, the, but also The Matrix. The Matrix is, is, is hot take. Matrix, pretty good pretty good. Um, maybe by the time you... I, when does Re, uh, Resurrections come out? It's uh, December, like, 17th, I think. So, I guess it'll be out soon when you hear this? It will not
1: be out by the time you hear this. We will okay. only... We will be in between our file toasters,
0: I think. Okay, well, you know. Well, uh, you know. It's,
1: coming, it's coming out the day all about my mother drops.
0: Okay, well, oh, spoilers for next week, Benjamin. Uh, yes, this will... Yeah, the major... <laughs> <laughs> There's a fourth matrix will be out uh, closer to when you hear this than when we're recording it. But yes, today we are talking office space. One that, as I said last week, you know, I, I enthusiastically wanted to put it on because it's such a, a chill, fun time when we were constructing the list. And then as we've actually been working through it, I'm like... I got Office Space onto this list and Ben didn't really fight me on that. This is gonna be, like, oh, all these movies we didn't pick that we could have, this is gonna be the one. But you know what? Office Space is a chill, fun time. So I'm glad it's here. You know, I think if you have ever worked in an office, it captures the vibe <laughs> perfectly. And, and you know, the, the main character's fantasy of just, like, you know... What the main character goes through is everyone's fantasy if you've worked in an office like that. I mean, I know so, we don't really do cubicles in this country, but, like, it seems incredibly fucking grim. Um, Last well, of was my question. Have you ever worked in an office with cubicles, or
1: has it yeah. always been, like, open plan? You can speak to your desk neighbour quite easily without having to do the, like, go stand by the water cooler, stand up and, like, shout <laughs> at someone in the next cubicle over kind of
0: thing? Uh, no, all of mine have been open plan, uh, to the point that there's there's one person who is very irritable and requested cubicle walls be put around just their desk. But they're like... Because it, that's only of limited effectiveness, you know? If if it's like a giant room that houses like 150, 200 people in an open plan environment putting cubicles around just your desk doesn't really do a whole lot yeah I
1: mean there are points where I have realised like where the noises come from in an office based environment where you're like oh okay when that team goes in for a meeting the decibel level drops Mm. by like 20 decibels Uh, but yeah I can only imagine like having literally three walls around you but like Mm. probably an open back cubicle and no one else being guided it's just almost like funneling the noise into you yeah yeah (laughs)
0: we all work from home now because of covid yeah much better much better um yeah if you have ever worked in in one of these my my sympathies to you if you still work in one of these my sympathies go to you i would hope this kind of thing went out uh, you know over the last sort of 10-15 years i feel a lot of offices try to be a little bit trendier now so you know the big open plan the color-coded walls for departments all that shit Um, yeah, so this is a movie written and directed by Mike Judge, the most famous for creating or co-creating Beavis and Butthead, King of the Hill, and Silicon Valley. Um, his background is, of course, in animation, so, like, this movie, its origins are in a series of shorts called Milton, in which he did the whole thing himself, every voice. Did you, did you watch any of Milton? I tried. I think I came to some, like, Milton adjacent sketches that were airing at that time but yeah they like they aired on like liquid tv and snl and stuff like that but um, yeah have, I, man- I managed it? to
1: find the first one i think okay. in the run of this and it was like oh this is like word for word yeah basically a conversation between milton and uh, uh, what's his name uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, and i was like okay but also not to disparage mike judge because obviously mike judge has like a very storied career in, in animation, like, he's obviously is both Beavis and Butthead, and he's he's Hank Hill as well, isn't he? Uh, yeah, I think, and also Boon Um Yeah, so, like, he, he's obviously a talented voice actor, but, like, the
0: things that Gary Cole and, and Stephen Root do with those characters oh, is yeah. so yeah. good. Yeah, I mean, the difference between, you know, your own little private passion project that you made yourself so early in your career versus, like, It's the big time now, we're getting in actors to do it, obviously it's gonna be better the second one. He, you know, Beavis and Butthead becomes, temporarily, one of the biggest things in America at least. Um, and you know, the only other movie he directs in the 90s is Beavis and Butthead to America. He only directs two features after this. Idiocracy, idiocracy even if I wanna pronounce the syllables right correctly there and um, put the right emphasis on things, uh, and Extract, which is kind of a companion piece, but more looking management. You know, Jason Bateman is the manager and all of his employees are hat plus, so it's kind of reversing the dynamic a bit. I kind of like Extract, I know it's sort of a movie that, for intents and purposes, no one knows exists, but, you know... Um, yeah and then, I, I remember it like the trailer coming out just as I was like watching all of the rest of development I was like ooh a Jason Bateman comedy when that was like a, a novelty of him in movies yeah um, and like oh it's a comedy and they've cast Kristen Wiig she's surely funny right no just doing drama before that became a thing she did all the time um, I don't think she has one joke in that movie and I was like oh this was an odd casting you've got the impressions lady to just do a dramatic role yeah, um, and, then, and you got Ben Affleck as like a super stoned bartender <laughs> see that fits him it does. That is that is quintessential Affleck. Um, you have to lean into his dumbassery. <laughs> that is what I feel about ben Affleck's career. When you try and have him play a genius, or like, someone hyper-competent at something, it just doesn't work out. I so, am. So, I...
1: As a question, as yes. we're doing kind of like the background of this movie, which movie is more Of a cultural like cult touchstone, is it this or is it Idiocracy? Because I feel like Idiocracy. I've not seen Idiocracy, so for me, it's very clearly this. But 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 Idiocracy is like one of those movies where when you watch it, it's like, oh wow, he predicted the Trump presidency. Oh fun! (laughs) Like it, like literally the opening of the movie is like this takedown of like more and more intelligent people start realising they don't want kids and wearing protection, which basically leads people who aren't educated to, to right. agree with abandon and
0: basically yes. like, while you've got in real life, like, you know, boomers shouting at people under forty for not having kids. It's like, yeah, the world fucking sucks and rent's too high. Of course we don't want kids. Yeah. Uh, like it obviously it's more nuanced than
1: the kind of vaguely eugenicist view that it takes at the top of idiocracy, but basically like it's think it's like a great movie but it's definitely a movie where when you watch it you kind of go like there's a lot of pointed satire in this that is maybe like yeah and and, a proper kind of like sounding board for where it needs to be ended yeah and
0: I think think that's I think that's one of the key things like Judge trades in satire he trades in sort of dry wit and stuff like that and and I'll get into sort of like how the movie comes about in a minute but like yeah that, that did not help with them trying to market the thing, because, uh, so it comes out in November of 1997. It was made for a budget of $10 million. It only makes $12.2 million. I think it has eventually, over time, made a lot of money back, because it was on TV a lot. I think it ended up selling quite well on video and DVD and everything. So I think, and it has become this sort of cult film. I feel everyone has seen it and enjoys it so it's
1: one of those movies that i feel like there is a certain brand of person who would have had this as a poster at university <laughs> at a certain like maybe not so much in the uk i don't think it ever became like a definitive like uk mm. you need an office space poster now i've certainly seen people with this poster hanging up it's just it isn't like this isn't like a fight club pop fiction style situation mm. where when you walk into
0: a, a person's room you're like oh okay you like movies in the most generic <laughs> of movies yeah my judge fucking hates that poster so much um he says that the guy looks like big bird and it like does <laughs> nothing to sell the movie um so that's fun so yeah it, i mean it, yeah it does so, feel like it's a prank poster doesn't it? it
1: feels like it's the kind of thing where it's like it's it's jackass but in an office <laughs>
0: Yeah, and it's just not selling the tone at all, which we will get into in a moment. But uh, while we're on that subject of money and and it making $12.2 million, why don't you talk about that opening weekend? Uh, I believe Dave Herman said something to the effect of he was, like, thrilled to hear it made $7 million in in its opening weekend. And then his friends who work in the film industry were like, no, dude, that's bad. Um, So I guess it made $7 million in its opening weekend?
1: It didn't.
0: Oh, okay.
1: It made four. Four, okay, maybe. He... Opened opened at number eight in the box office. Okay. Uh, four million dollars at opening weekend. Behind uh, other new releases of October Sky is the only one really.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Behind the top ten of Payback, Message in a Bottle, My Favorite Martian, October Sky at number four, Blast in the Past, Shakespeare in Love. She's is all that. Office Space number eight. And then just ahead of Rushmore and Saving Private Ryan, respectively, in their
0: 11th and 31st weeks. 31st so. week! Uh, I love this. I feel this doesn't happen when we do the podcasts in the more modern decades. We don't really hit these movies that are in weeks, like, 20-plus, that are still in the top ten, kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, it's... it's all movies nowadays have such an incredibly short lifespan. Like, like even Marvel movies, like because especially now they've got Disney Plus and they're shoving stuff on there seemingly way earlier than than they used to. Like I feel I saw Shang Chi like last month and it it came to Disney Plus like two weeks ago, and I was like, holy shit, like, I know I didn't see it last month, but, we
1: are now at like, a six or seven week turnaround,
0: yeah, and like, it will, I'm sure there are people, who are still going to see it, while it's on Disney+, Plus, but like, why would you, like, (laughs) but, it's just, you know, it was a different era, where movies had much longer legs, so, so I'm now intrigued, so, in the current box office,
1: the week of, November 19th, 21st, in the US, Venom Let There Be Carnage, is is at eight weeks, in the cinema, at number six, Mm. Uh, The only movie that is in double digits is Shang-Chi, with 12 weeks and number 22, earning an amazing
0: $48,000 at the box office this week. That's insane, yeah. So, like, not even in there as long, no one near as as many weeks as Saving Private Ryan was at this point in the 90s, and making far less money. It's like, yeah. Like, Marvel's the biggest thing in town, and even their stuff doesn't have long enough and then obviously, But then obviously
1: it makes more money in the run-up, but it's why the inflation stat is so important to kind of like contextualise this. It's just because cinema tickets are worth more than they were in the 90s. Yeah. Um, and like obviously Shang-Chi, I, I mean, I th- I'd have to do the digging in to see which movie is actually bigger. And I'm sure Saving Private Ryan probably is a bigger movie overall than Shang-Chi, but obviously it's COVID suppression and all these other little yeah. factors that are impacting it. But like... Yeah, like it, it's a completely different box office when you're looking at the 90s compared to the two, 2020s. Yeah. And it's, it's all down to the fact that, like, people, because cinemas are so small and because everyone's got these streaming services now, everyone is getting really antsy about, like, getting on their yeah. money, monetarily supported platform, even though they're having to temper it with, like, but we do make more money from being in the cinema. So it's like, we need to have the stock increase because we've got enough content on Disney Plus to afford to pay the st- shareholders. But also, if we don't keep it in cinemas for at least seven weeks, we're not going to make the $300 million domestic that we need to do to make this a. Yeah.
0: Like, are Warner definitely going ahead with putting the Matrix on HBO Max? Mm-hmm. That's fucking Every- insane. That seemed like the one to be like, all right, no, this needs to be just in cinemas. Like,. I think they've had they've had two movies get across 100 million dollars at the domestic box office
1: this year and it's con and it's uh, Dune at this point. Jesus
0: Christ. I I get that they made that. I guess promise um at some point a year ago 18 months ago something like that where they're like yeah our entire big slate next year we're going to put it all on HBO Max but like come on. Like I look I'm not desperate to leave the house and do stuff because covid is still very much a thing especially in this country where the, the numbers are just staggeringly climbing week on week um, after vaguely getting better at some point. But it's the fucking Matrix, man. Like, if you, do you want a billion dollars? No? Okay, fine, don't. <laughs> I
1: mean, I think it it shows how much more important the international box office is. Because obviously we are not getting the Matrix day one. on H3 no, it's no, true. Like, we will have to go to a cinema to see it, and that will obviously be great for us, but in America, you're going to get so many... And that's the thing I'm hating most about the HBO Max stuff, and it's the same thing with Disney Plus things, is that so many more people are posting like a 15-second clip of the movie on Twitter, and going like, look how weird this is, and it's like, okay, you're completely taking out of context from the movie. And I'm not defending, yeah. like, cause the two biggest ones this year have been, like, Florence Pugh, like, slamming her stick down into a, into a helicopter in, in Black Widow, and the animation scene from... Trailer. neither of which movies that I particularly love, but, like, there's this, like, mimetic cycle where people are kind of taking movies out of context and laughing at the big-budget stuff rather than...
0: Yeah, and, like, that that clip of, of um, Angelina Jolie doing the little spin move in Eternals, people went absolutely fucking bonkers over for, like, three weeks, and, like, I just saw the movie, like, if I didn't know that was, like, a big meme moment... I wouldn't have even noticed that. It it happens in the first, like, two minutes, and it's, like, nothing, and, like, the movie overall... I mean, I want to put a moratorium on, on action scenes being set at night with heavy CG, but uh, most of the time it looks decent. Like, there are plenty of, like, daylight scenes with their creatures and stuff, and it mostly looks pretty decent. But, you know, people, like, destroying it and being like, this is, like, PlayStation 2 era graphics, and, like all this shit, but... Yeah, man. people
1: don't know how to discuss things, and obviously the Wachowskis have gotten a lot more earnest, I feel, in the last mm. kind of, like, 15, 20 years. Look, I see what but you're if... doing here.
0: You're Trojan-horsing us into talking about the Matrix, just because it's <laughs> no. 299
1: I know, I know. Generally, I just think that, like, there's going to be something in Matrix Resurrections that is going to, like... Attract the ire of like a standard person, and it will become like the fucking argument yeah. scene in *Marriage Story*, which is like a good scene in a good movie. But because yeah, the internet
0: but, will just destroy it. Yeah, it's fun out there on Twitter. I hate it, man. Genuinely, like, every it's day bad. I'm like, uh, but I that isn't *Office Space*. Like the thing that, and so to bring it back to *Office Space* cleanly,
1: yes, there's a lot of stuff in *Office Space* that became memetic, but it came memetic through sheer force of will of people enjoying it, like. Mm-hmm. Things like the hip hop soundtrack and the destroying of the printer and stuff like that are things in Office Space that naturally became a metric, rather than like, ha look at the dumb movie that people don't like. Yeah, people obviously like it enough to invest. Like, what Black Widow is the third highest-grossing domestic movie of the year so far. So like, it isn't at all uh, like a movie that people are generally kind of like not
0: excited to see. Yeah, but people were still like, oh, lol, Marvel making no money, blah blah blah. Just to correct myself from a moment ago, it came out in February of 1999. I still have last week's movie month written on my notes. That would not leave a lot of time for our final two movies to have come out if it came out in November. Uh, so while we're on the subject of money, not to tip our hat, but our final three movies, none of them were a big box office smash. This one was probably the biggest box office loser, not by total number but when you consider budget so why don't you sarcastically take us through the biggest movies of 1999
1: so i'm looking at the list i've watched a lot of these like fairly recently so mm. number 10 is austin Powers: the Spug who shagged me like, yeah. number nine is american beauty number eight is the world is not enough number seven is notting hill number six is the mummy which is the movie, yeah. Tarzan at number five. The Matrix at number four. I think people like that one.
0: Number four, <laughs> really? Okay.
1: Four. Number three is Toy Story two. Wait, again R rated mm. movie in comparison. Yeah, 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 yeah. Toy Story two. Sixth Sense also has kind of like bigger, more recognizable stars, and obviously became like a huge fucking phenomenon. The in world's most
0: famous plot twist.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or is uh, it a twist? Um, the number one highest grossing movie at the worldwide at the worldwide box office in 1999 is of course. Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace. Uh,
0: of course. I yeah,
1: believe so. that these numbers do include a little bit of the 3D re-release. Right. Um, because that takes Star
0: Wars Episode One up to a billion dollars. Which it didn't make That Which it didn't it, make at uh, the time. Yeah. But, yeah. By the by, like, this is dated by the time you hear it, but, like, the Spider-Man trailer dropped recently and a bunch of people were, like, dunking on people that went to an event to just see the trailer. And it's like... When The Phantom Menace came out, people were buying tickets to movies just to see the trailer for Phantom Menace, and then leaving the theatre. Like, people have always done this. Like, let's, let's calm the fuck down. will um, history repeats itself people, people doing it for a movie that is bad. <laughs> let's hope not. <laughs> yeah. Predicts runnings this Friday, we'll find out. <laughs> We will. Okay, I look forward to people leaking images of Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire. You'll know by the time you hear this. Um, Right, so let's talk about how this came about, because, I mean, there is... (laughs) I love a good creator versus studio where the studio are clearly wrong story, so uh, buckle up. Um, So, you know, Mike Judge gets his inspiration from this because... Once upon a time he had a temp job alphabetizing POs, which is about the most boring thing I can imagine, and he also spent three months as an engineer in Silicon Valley, which obviously much later inspires Silicon Valley, but it's also, you know, office culture is office culture. The neighbour Lawrence is inspired by a neighbour he had at the time who was a mechanic, who made more money than him, set his own hours, and from his perspective seemed happier than he did. Um, You know, that grass is greener thing where Whatever job you're in, you just assume a completely different kind of job will be the answer to all your problems. Um, He then goes on, as I said, to create this series of shorts, including Milton, so this is sort of spinning around at the back of his head. The Head of Fox, um, where he's set up with Beavis and Butthead, wants to make a Milton movie. Mike Judge says actually that character isn't very interesting outside of work, so let's make it an ensemble, so Milton is relegated to you know, the mimetic supporting character, which, you know, I think he's right. Like, what do you... Milton can't, like, go home and have a family and, like, deliver long monologues. He's funny in small bursts. And then Fox do what Fox do. <laughs> so they, they were like, can you set this in New York, possibly even Wall Street? And Mike just was like, no. Like, this is funnier and more true to life if it's, like... You know, they they take careful steps to try and not reveal where it's set. Um, and it's like, it's one of these, we've all seen them, you know, like these business parks that are just, it, it's like 20 identical office lots, and there's a bunch of chain restaurants that have all got deals with each other to open near each other this, and whatever.
1: This movie feels like a very, I mean, it's very obvious that Mike Judge has got his finger on the pulse in terms of like where yeah. technology and the sort is at this point. Like, obviously, like he goes on to do Silicon Valley like 10 years after this movie. And, like, you look at this, and it feels like such a pre-dot-com boom, hmm. or the, the, bu- the bubble bursting kind of, like, movie, where it feels like that kind of thing. And obviously, like, all these, all these kind of centers still exist after the dot-com bubble burst, and these guys aren't particularly involved in anything dot com but, like, I, I feel like this is such a kind of, like, 90s point of view on this that yeah. is kind of pointless for, like, what it actually is, like, in, uh, being emblematic of and... There probably is like a little bit of a rebellion against the kind of the structure of this, maybe in part because this movie comes out and everyone kind of goes like, I oh don't know, maybe we need to rethink office culture. And you get this kind of like nowadays, everyone's trying to one up each other and you see like Google and you see Facebook and they're like, look, there's a cereal bar where everyone can come and you can like sit on beanbags whilst you
0: work. And, <laughs> and on like, Fridays, just work on your own stuff, man. We own it. <laughs> yeah
1: dogs to work they can be like an emotional support animal for you
0: yeah yeah. oh man but yeah like it It goes from these to it's start it's an anti-capitalist it? movie yeah yeah, yeah exactly and I like They just clearly didn't get the vibe, Fox, at all, of like, this should be incredibly normcore, everything should be low energy and true to life, it should feel realistic, and they were like, set it on Wall Street, we want you to cast Matt Damon and Ben Affleck because Good Will Hunting has just been a big hit. So Matt Damon was supposed to be the lead here, and I guess Ben Affleck would have been one of the friends, or possibly, I don't know, but... Um, so they get Jennifer Aniston as a compromise. Like, you know, oh here's a big name, it's Rachel. She, you know, they they beef the role up compared to the script, now they've got her because she didn't really have a whole lot to do before that, because unfortunately many movies don't give women a lot to do. Yeah, and, and so they get her and they're able to go and get these smaller people that they like more instead. Fox are reviewing dailies and they're like, they, they fucking hate Ron Livingston, basically. <laughs> They're like, he needs to smile more, is he on drugs, etc, etc. And again, you clearly have missed the whole point of the movie. He is supposed to be fucking sad until he has his big moment. Um, they didn't like the gangster rap stuff. It got saved because Mike Judge was like, alright, we'll do one more focus test, and if they don't like it, we'll take it out. And... One of the focus testers is like, yeah, I thought it was kind of cool that they're these, like, straight-laced office workers, but they're super into rap music, so it got to stay. As I said, they argued over the poster, they did this ridiculous promotional stunt where some guy lived in a cube for five days, like, (laughs) before David Blaine, maybe, I don't know, some guy lived in a cube in New York for five days... Ron Livingston said, when he would turn up to the Cube to do, like, interviews, people were much more interested in talking to the guy in the Cube than him. Yeah, and they later go on to admit they marketed it poorly. Um, it, it's hard to sell satire and stuff like that. And But then it, it airing on Comedy Central a lot, um, like, I think the first time it aired, it, it drew, like, one and a half million viewers or something like that. Um, yeah, for like,
1: for like, I mean, obviously it's the first for a first-run movie, and I feel like that used to be a bigger deal. Like, you used to have people going like the network premiere. Of yeah, so and so. I think I think that was how I first watched The Matrix was like the network premiere on Channel Four of The Matrix.
0: Wow. Yeah, like you know, I I, I don't watch a lot of, of TV, but I feel normally like. Over here, at least, um, the British, the big TV channels are like in a competition to air the biggest movies around Christmas time. Like, yeah, you know.
1: everyone, everyone has got the rights
0: in, and so you'll hear stuff. I
1: remember like 2015, 16. Time there was like the network premiere of Gardens of the Galaxy on BBC at Christmas. And yeah, so, and,
0: like the, the BBC aired Avengers One Christmas and stuff like that. I'm like, whoa, you don't air this kind of stuff. Yeah, and because like, you're, you're all competing for eyeballs, because everyone's sat at their family
1: houses and there's mm-hmm. nothing better to do, and you can't emotionally connect to your family. So. Of course. Let's watch a Marvel movie. We can
0: argue about whether people deserve rights or we could watch whatever's on BBC One. And I think its biggest legacy is TGI Fridays dropped the employee buttons because so many customers (laughs) were making fun of the the waiters for their pieces of flair. So they dropped that from their uniform. Uh, Right, let's talk the movie. I think, I mean, it goes without saying they perfectly capture... The minutiae, the mind-numbing sort of just frustration of working in an office, starting from the very first scene with them commuting in, and like you know, I I don't drive, but even I recognise that you know the whole you move to the lane that's moving, and then that lane stops, and then the lane you were in starts moving, and, and...
1: it's I think that perfectly actually is relevant just in terms of how that, like that is my least favourite thing to, to watch people do during traffic jams. <laughs> That's what causes more traffic jams, is people seeing another lane moving and then moving into it, because you're not the only person that's had that point of view. I know, I know. <laughs> so like, 17 people do it, and then you completely destroy like what was happening in that lane, which is what obviously <laughs> enables the other lanes to start moving quicker. God, people don't have to drive.
0: No, no, I genuinely, I don't think I've ever been on a car ride in my conscious adult life where I haven't seen at least one person, where I'm like, you are the worst driver in the entire world. Like, I don't even drive, and I know people can't fucking drive. <laughs> Something hyper specific. I mean, I guess it's not specific to me. I thought it was specific to me. Static shocks because they have metal door handles everywhere. I find myself constantly. I touch like the wall before I will touch the metal door handle just to try and ground myself a bit. But I mean, it's, I, it's
1: the perfect combination of like the shoes that you're expected to wear in these offices, carpet uh-huh. that of they blow down in them. And then
0: obviously the metal door handle, and it's like you've just made the perfect like. Yeah, why metal door handles? Why not plastic? <laughs> why not wood? Like what? Yeah, the annoying customer service lady who was answering every call in a identically shrill voice, which they're obviously heightening it because she's literally, like literally like twenty times she says that, and like yeah, it carries like, is she just on. In put, the is background. she putting all these voices on hold, or is she like forward them, forwarding them to like the relevant person? I think whatever, she's like. forwarding them, but or maybe she's putting them all on hold, but. <laughs> Yeah, it's just like, ah, uh, like, you just want to... Like, that very first scene, he's, like, he comes in and he immediately wants to go on a coffee break, and it's Monday, because he has to hear, has someone got a case of the Mondays. Yeah, just, like, they make it as annoying as possible as quickly as possible, and there's there's stuff on the... You know, there's the big motivational posters hanging over them, and they're in the cubicles, and there's a there's a poster on the wall that is this, like, really complicated chart, and it's entitled Planning to Plan, which is just, mwah, because I mean, one of the big running gags is these these TES reports or whatever and it's, it's like the whole thing is memos, talking about memos, resending copies of memos being spoken to by six different people about the same problem and it's like, would you please just fuck off? Um, yeah, I mean,
1: like, Ron Livingston yes. as an actor is someone who I'm always happy to see Yeah it's, it's that weird thing where like I, he, he feels like because obviously he has in this kind of like two-year period around here, he has office space which obviously isn't a huge box office hit but then he does band of brothers and obviously he is one of the kind of like the biggest characters in that show he's in all 10 episodes and it feels like he should be someone who's being set up for like bigger and better things and instead he's like he will show up in a couple of things that I see every couple of years, and I'll exactly. be like, "Oh, I, I think he was boy. one
0: of the many interchangeable boyfriends on Sex and the City and stuff like that." But yeah, this dude probably should have been a big deal, probably in TV more than movies. But like, maybe that's the thing. Maybe he just missed the boat on prestige TV by a little bit. Well, that's um, the thing is, because like he's he's in like six episodes of season
1: four of Bored or Fire and he's like a yeah. fun. Like, fun little thing there. He's the, um, not to spoil Search Party Season 1, but he's the quote unquote villain of Season 1 of Search Party, and he's like a lot of fun in that. And it's not just to like. Spoiler,
0: but here's my spoiler.
1: <laughs> I think mean, the show's five years old at this point. It's, and, funny, like, it's I think it's gone off into some like wildly different directions after Season 1, but like, okay. Search, Party, Search Party good. I need to catch up with Search Party. He is a presence who I always appreciate, and you look at his IMDb, and like, his top four projects are The Conjuring Office Space, Adaptation, And Band Brothers. And he isn't, like, someone that you remember from adaptation,
0: really. No, I actually genuinely don't remember him in adaptation. (laughs) Is he like his... Oh, he's like his book agent or something, isn't he? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. So he's playing the opposite role as he's playing here, essentially. (laughs) Because here, he is our everyman. He is our... Hates working in an office, hates hearing the Mondays. I mean, the big gimmick of the movie is... He goes to see a, a, a sort of hypnotherapist who intends to just mellow him out temporarily by, you know, he takes him down, mellow, mellow, clear your mind, everything's great all the time. And then the therapist, because he's fat, of course dies of a heart attack on the spot, leaving him stuck in this hyper mellow state. And then he just decides, I'm not going to go to work and I'm just going to stay in bed and I'm going to turn up in like a Hawaiian shirt and shorts and flip-flops. And I think probably my favourite scene in the movie is when you have, damn, it feels good to be a gangster playing, while he, like, takes a drill from a handyman and dismantles his cubicle so he... Ha- it, like, the wall falls out, and then he has this view of the window instead, and hands behind his head, feet up, and it's like, oh, perfect. It's, um, it's
1: amazing how much that changes the entire aesthetic of that room. Like, just losing yeah. that wall and being able to look out a window... Even as a viewer, it makes it look so much better. Yeah. And I don't know if they, like, increased the, like, contrast on the colours to make the, the greens outside pop a lot better, or they had yeah, to, like, okay. find a window. Because, like, when you normally look out the windows outside the office in this movie, they're all facing the car park. And he's, <laughs> luckily enough, got just enough grass and trees to, yeah. like, make and it. And it's appears. not
0: even the best view in the world, but, like, anything beats, like, a fucking fabric wall that is, like, <laughs> inches from your face. Yeah, it's just it's just... I'm not even sure it makes sense, because there's another scene where, like, you get, like, the aerial pan-over of his little bank of four cubicles, and, like, Milton is diagonally opposite him, and it's, like, the wall in front of him is another cubicle, so I don't know if they changed something to force the perspective or whatever, but anyway. So my one question on the hypnotism is... Yes? I don't understand why they don't just include a trigger... Him to wake up instead, it's very much like a that someone accidentally says, and that's what snaps him out because they have it like it just wears off at some point. Yeah, like, that's the thing, it's like, and it's like they put the line in because like maybe they had a scene and they cut it where like because that's the thing, it's all it would take
1: would be like them to be out drinking because like obviously Michael Bottle and Samir Najirjan get fired, yes. Yeah, and so, and so basically, you just someone Maybe getting drunk resets him or something. Or something or yeah, like, or like someone claps their hands or snaps their fingers or whatever, and he like wakes yeah. up. And it's like okay, like it, but instead, it's like he just has a line of dialogue in the scene where it's like,
0: oh, it wore off and now I'm yeah. Ready, and ready. that's the thing, like Mike Judge said, he doesn't like the ending and he wishes he could have rewritten the third act. And I'm kind of inclined to agree. Like, there's a few things I like about the ending, but like from the point where like they realize, oh shit, we're in trouble to the end, it's, and, like, deciding to give the money back and all arguing and all of that, it's a much less interesting movie than the, sort of, first it's, 45 it gi- minutes. It gives the movie stakes, which this movie doesn't need. Yeah, exactly. It, it's... I, I'm not interested in them getting in trouble. I'm interested in, like, what is this guy's life like and how far can he push this, because I mean, that's the other... The, the, the stakes we have at the beginning are the stakes any company like this has... There are whispers of downsizing. They bring in two consultants, John McGinley and Paul Wilson as the Bobs, who are both fantastic and you know you have that Tom character who's bas- who's like, "Yeah, you're basically interviewing for your own job and it's those scenes are so good, like where you have them sit down with him uh with them and 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 John McGinley is just sort of saying, "What would you say you do here, and having people actually describe their jobs out loud to somebody often for the first time because you know no one knows what anyone else's job is you just have to just sort of be like yeah you know i enter stuff into spreadsheets because that's what everyone does they're just I different mean, I mean, spreadsheets. Having, having
1: had to have done this
0: yeah my
1: role in the last five years was an incredibly daunting position because you realize that like especially if you're in a quite close-knit team you have a very similar job to someone else yeah and like what these things are looking for are who is working redundant jobs, and whose job doesn't sound like it actually does anything important. Yeah, and I like think the, the most crucial one, where it's like, Thomas Smykowski could have like, the most important job in the company, but because he doesn't do anything other than talk to customers, like, you kind of go like, well, what's the point in him? We just don't, know. we just have the engineers talk to the customers. He's a less important middleman. And I wish this movie kind of did, and obviously this is like rewriting entirely but i wish the movie did the downsizing and then they did the thing that almost all companies do which is they fire too many people and then they start having to make hires back and they make either bad hires or they hire as many people as they just let go but pay them less wages yeah yeah, yeah. oh god totally totally like like
0: yeah like heading for that bad point where even if they don't fire people the result of them doing some firing then makes morale worse and people are like we're heading to a bad place because of these decisions i'm gonna quit and then they have to bring in new people who are worse and and so on. Yeah, like I almost wish this movie did like a 6 months on kind of thing, like seeing the ramifications of this consultancy and everything. But you know, they they are they are really good in it and like you're getting like an element of some of McGinley's like generic, you know, the the familiar roles we know him from. Like he he is almost always either the corporate tight ass, you know, like po- point break essentially, um or it's the slightly irritable, sarcastic Dr. Cox. Um, and you see it's kind of a blend of the two, where he is, like, incredibly straight-laced and boring and dad jokes and loves Michael Bolton and all of that shit. But then he is also, like, giving you some of that Dr. Cox cadence when he's talking sometimes. and It's, it's funny to watch almost like this, like, he can rise of his career
1: over the 90s, where he always plays authority figures and it's like Point Break into Seven into The Rock into this Mm. and it's like it feels like he got sick of action movies because he kept pigeonholed pigeonholes like the the head of some kind of division like the the SWAT leader in Seven and in the Rockies, obviously playing marine captain.
0: Well, that's what he gets for being so intimidating and also so weirdly buff for someone his age. Like, but like, I have <laughs> to imagine, like, I mean, obviously he he
1: has comedy chops. But, like, is Office Space kind of instrumental in him getting scrubs? Is this him Probably going? Like, I don't want to carry on playing gruff authority figures in action movies. I want to do this in comedies.
0: Yeah, I mean, you could see how he could you know, workshopping from this Bob character into Dr. Cox, you can see the straight line. Like, obviously, it is more of the, like, like, he's a fucking dork, but there is a hint of it um, in, in how he's talking and stuff. So, yeah, for I mean, sure, I, mean, I could see that Everything happening. I love about him and Ron Livingston in these scenes is that Ron Livingston <laughs>
1: matches to bullshit his way into being, like, oh, I actually just need to be motivated to, like, try harder.
0: Yeah, and, like, it's not that I'm lazy, I'm just bored and, like, what's my motivation? And it's, and that, like... So, like, you know, because that's that's, what, that's the conceit the movie is setting up. It's like, right, he has now become hyper-honest and hyper, like, I don't feel like it, so I won't. At the exact worst time, because he is about to slam face-first into his consultancy, and he goes in and he says all the things you think you will, where he's like, yeah, I come in 15 minutes late, I space out for an hour, I do it again after lunch, I probably work 15 minutes of actually hard work a week, Modern vernacular, we call that dissociation. <laughs> Indeed. And they just completely respond more. They, they kind of overlook all of that. And they respond to him saying, like, I have no incentive, whether I work harder, or I work... You know, if I make the company more money, I don't see anything out of it. And I've got, you know, there's too many middle managers. I have eight bosses. And we see that at the beginning, where Lumberg talks to him, and then that other boss guy talks to him, and then someone over the phone talks to him about the, the fucking TPS reports. And they're like, hmm, okay, forget all that coming in late stuff. Would you like stock options, more money, and four people to work for you? <laughs> and we're going to fire your two friends, who may hate their job, but do seem to try harder than him. <laughs> and they're like, oh yeah, that guy's got upper management material written all over him and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah, it... uh,
1: again, again, it's like, the movie threatens to go through and have like some of the middle managers fired, but like again doesn't quite commit, because they have the scene where Gary Cole sits down and, like, they bring out his file and they're about to, like, uh, chastise him, and it's like...
0: Yeah, like, they're going through all the people, they're like, oh, you can definitely fire this guy, Milton got fired five years ago and no one told him and we will talk (laughs) about Milton. And then, you know, they obviously, they, they hit Peter and then they're, like, so positive about him and Gary Cole argues, and then they pull out Gary Cole's file, and I love that he's wearing that same outfit in his picture <laughs> as he is at the desk. We will also have to talk about Gary Cole, but yeah, just just so good, and, like, it kind of links to Jennifer Aniston's character of Joanna, where, like, this mentality he, because, you know, we see when they first go to to get coffee at the beginning, he's like, you know, he has a crush on her from afar, but he's got a girlfriend he hates, and he's He's probably a little bit too awkward to ask out someone like her. But while he's in this mindset of, like, he's just direct, he's mellow, he's faintly positive all the time, he becomes irresistible <laughs> to women. And I guess it. I guess it's charming to the bobs as well. It's like, he's not, like, doing a big rant where he's like, look, here's the fucking problem with this company, where he's, like, just a little bit too intense. It, he delivers it all in such a way that's like... Here's how it is. And, like, they respond to it in the same way she does, where, like, he just walks up to her and is like, hey, I'll tell you what, I'm going to get a table next door. Come or don't. It's cool. And, yeah, so Jennifer Aniston's... I mean, her role in the movie is just girlfriend of main character. They do try and give her that tiny... I mean, it's a memorable plotline. The pieces of flair brings in Mike Judge as her boss, and the other waiter... Brian. 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 Todd Duffy is Brian. Yeah, Todd Duffy. Just... In what decent society are fajitas a starter, Benjamin? <laughs> extreme <laughs> fajitas? Extreme fajita? Right? What's extreme fajita? I don't know, but fajitas are a main meal, good lord. Maybe it's like, meal. maybe it's like tiny putillas that they've like wrapped around some like beef and beans. It's, it's and- bread, meat, cheese, salad and possibly beans, like that's a main meal! <laughs> yes, the pieces of flair, which, just a perfect encapsulation of how one all jobs are fundamentally the same. <laughs> like, she doesn't work in an office, but she's... It's one-to-one. Like, it's the same bullshit, where she... They, they must wear 15, and then she gets told off for not wearing enough. And then she's like, why don't you just raise the minimum to 31? And it's like, you don't get it. <laughs> like, we want you to... This, just... is, this is how we gauge your investment into the company. Yeah, they've, like... turned, they've turned... They've turned individuality into a KPI, essentially. <laughs> and, like yeah it's, just... it's 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 all the the myriad things where it's like it's
1: it's the hang-ups on things that don't matter yeah. like like why are you monitoring these things i understand that we want to monitor customer satisfaction if you can show me a metric that says that customers have a better time mm-hmm. because someone is wearing more than 15 fucking badges on their uniform <laughs> i will wear more badges <laughs> but until you can prove to me that this in like increases customer satisfaction, you can't do it. And the only thing that you could possibly prove in this case is that Brian
0: is more invested, mm-hmm.
1: and therefore customers like him more than they like Joanna.
0: I would and counter: customers like hot women more than they like hyper enthusiastic men. But never mind. Yes, um, but obviously, <laughs> it, but the point this movie's making is presumably they've got some
1: kind of like yeah. customer metric, and like Brian gets more tips or something. But like making Aniston wear more badges is not going to make her more invested
0: yeah yeah and like she even says like she just picked 15 badges out of like a badge bin she doesn't even know what they say you know i don't like talking about my (laughs) flair i would would have gone so far with this and had something like a free
1: palestine (laughs) (laughs) like like being like the weirdest things possible like free palestine uh like don't tread on me just the most yeah just completely
0: contradictory political (laughs) opinions (laughs) yeah 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 and like you know it's it's even with them adding that little storyline in and, and when she like flips off mike judge to quit that is that is great for her and sort of i think she said that's kind of why she took it is because even though it is smaller and like to the point that like ron livingston said he was legit like starstruck by her, working with her. Like, he spent two days unable to, like, make eye contact with her during rehearsals and stuff. You know, this is, she obviously isn't the world's biggest film star, but she is a big star, and, and, like, this isn't, like, her first movie or anything, but it, so it is quite a small part for her, but she said that she just doesn't get offered parts like this at this point in her career, like, and I think you see that expressed in the last decade, particularly, where she takes far more, like, vulgar stuff and stuff where she's, like, stripping off and doing all of this. Because she was just typecast for a long, long time. It's just, she's just the all-American girl. She's Rachel. She's just a nice, you know, she's a bit of a brat. She's a bit, she likes shopping, but she's fundamentally a nice, wholesome lady. I mean, and,
1: that's, that's the with because obviously, like, so this is 99. Friends is probably now at its peak, She's yep. dating Brad. They're yep. about to get married next year. Like, it's a kind of perfect storm for her in terms of her overall star-making career. Like, this is—it's different to Courtney Cox doing Scream two years before this. Yeah. Even though, obviously, like I think Friends ratings peak in like season two, season three. But I think as a cultural juggernaut, it's still continuing on at this trend. And like Jennifer Aniston is like peak, peak, peak Jennifer Aniston at this point, and it's yep. only going to continue going a little bit crazy, obviously culminating in 2005 with The Divorce and all the tabloid stuff about Angela Jolie and her. Yeah. And you look at her 1999, and her two roles are This and Iron Giant.
0: <laughs> which, which almost got on the list.
1: Which, yeah, which are both two of her best movies. And, like, she obviously then spends, like, the next decade or the next, like, she, she moves more into, like, The Good Girl, Bruce Almighty, along came Polly, playing romantic leads in movies and yeah. kind of settles into very much being... Yeah. the romantic star of things for, like, kind of the ten years post-Friends. Yeah. And I feel like it's that kind of... It's horrible bosses that yeah. gives her the energy to, like, do something a little bit... smarty. <laughs> um, yeah. and, like, you know... She... she's She's got so many, like, weird things inside her, though, where, like, she's also running for an Oscar. I remember when she doesn't... Get, uh, there was a story in the tabloids that, like, when she didn't get the Oscar nomination for Kate, she was, like, completely devastated because it was such a, like, very very apparent oscar run Mm. for her and she's kind of settled more into like i'm just going to carry on working with with adam sandler and now murder mystery is like a (laughs) franchise almost because they're doing a sequel yeah Um,
0: she's become like supporting character who's probably making more money than a lot of the bigger names in it and like you know she she wants to swear she wants to be in her underwear she wants to be foul-mouthed and all this because she just just was never afforded those opportunities earlier on and like <laughs> even with this being a small role she gets to like bitch about her job and flip off her boss and like she's into kung fu and like you know the rest of it it's all just completely autopilot like she's turning up to a party and like just it was getting him to try and explain how he's not stealing and stuff like that and and you know and, and also like Equally, as he's able to charm her by being so carefree, as his hypnosis wears off, they start to bicker. Um, you know, comparing the pieces of flair to fucking Nazi Germany, and then like trying to slut shame her about sleeping with Lumberg and like they do end up making up, and like they're still together at the end of the movie. But you know, it, it's not a big role, but she's good in the moments they ask. I, it to I think it the good. movie spreads
1: the needle enough on kind of like the sexist shit that he says, where it's like I think having watched movies recently which are just kind of like openly misogynistic like i watched um, john carpenter's vampires the other week and it's like oh god this movie's kind of gross and treats its female stars like trash even though cheryl lee's like really fucking good in this movie and then you turn around to this where it's like oh god what's he saying is he gonna fuck it up and it's like okay no the movie is movie
0: understands what he's saying is awful like at least on its head and it's more that he hates lomberg because like Drew, the like the, you know like the the, the frat boy guy, with the O face and everything, he says how she gets around, and he's obviously slightly bothered by that. But the thing that he's hung up on is that he says that she slept with Lumberg, and let's talk about Gary Cole, the quintessential douchey boss. That yeah hi, and I'm gonna need you to do this, and I'm gonna have to go ahead and do that, and all of these tiny little idiosyncrasies that he just perfectly captures as just. Just such a dickhead. Just just perfect. And, like, that That all culminates with this... He has this dream about Lumberg, fucking her, and he's doing his office shtick while banging someone. I'm just gonna need you to move your leg. There we go. <laughs> just so good. The world least enthusiastic happy birthday singing for him and stuff like that. Um, th- I think this role, like, has followed him around forever because he isn't such a big name that, like, I think he said that, like, he was working other jobs while he wasn't acting, even while he was making this. And he was, like, in his early 40s when he made this, so, like, it's not like he's he was a young actor or anything who was also waiting tables, but yeah, I feel this is the role that, like, I'm sure to this day people yell or quote lines at this at him and stuff like that.
1: That's the weird thing about his career, is that like, you look at his career, and like, he works a lot. Especially TV, but like I feel like he doesn't go like supersonic until ten years after this movie. When mm. it's like he's in fucking everything after like two thousand and ten. <laughs> like he's got recurring roles in a the dozen TV shows, whilst at the same time being like a series regular on Veep. He's doing voice acting. He's he just like he's, he absolutely yeah. Yeah, He's he- one of those who like he's in everyone's good graces. Like everyone has probably got like a great story to tell about like working with Gary Cole because you don't get to work that much unless you are someone who people enjoy yeah working with you yeah
0: like he he's just he's good for whatever like you can just tap him for whatever and he's down for it kind of thing like you know he's a recurring yeah, he, character in Archer and he's like one of the he's like <laughs> the sex couple in 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 blockers
1: yeah. yes but, but I think so you look at you look at a lot of people in this movie like David mm-hmm. Herman Gary Cole Stephen root like they're all or teacher Pader, they're all voice actors mm-hmm a lot of them, like a lot of them, spend a lot of time doing voice acting, and they're. But also, a lot of them have got faces that suit them for both drama and comedy. Where you can put them in any kind of TV show, you can slot them into your like comedy movie for a five-minute role that's going to be memorable, but isn't going to be the lead.
0: Mm.
1: And they will like steal the movie for you, or like do what you need them to do. Yeah. In, in short chunks, and it feels like to to circle back, it feels like that's what Ron Livingston should have aimed for. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And instead he probably was going for leading man things, but he was because he's kind of generically handsome, straight leading man, you end up with this thing where people like Paul Rudd are eating his lunch
0: at yeah. the same time. Yeah, like he's not <laughs> Yeah, like he's good looking enough. He seems to like he's a decent he's a good actor and like I guess he's not really delivering jokes here, but like he's clearly like, you know, I think he he's not like out of his depth. Whereas, like, Paul Rudd is like a just comedy machine. So, like, yeah, he's going to lose all those roles to him. Yeah, and, like, Dave Herman not becoming a big thing blows my fucking mind. Like, this dude, like, I mean, he was on is, Mad TV for a long time. He's, like, every supporting character on Futurama. Probably most is, memorable would on, be. Is he cast on Futurama this year? Uh, Must have been, because Futurama starts in 99. okay so
1: i I can't remember when scruffy first shows up and i have to imagine he's cast as scruffy first and then as voice actor for everyone else second
0: uh yeah i mean he he's just so many of the voice like i when i was doing futurama rama um i was trying to keep a, a track of who does the most voices and like he is so so many people like in almost every episode there is a dave herman character and like Billy West and John DiMaggio were just like huge fans of Dave Herman he never did any of the commentary so he's like this elusive he seems like this elusive private guy who is just so talented and he's so good in this I don't think I've seen him in anything else live action ever I know he was on mad tv for a long time and he was like he signed some like seven year contract that he was desperate to get out of and I think he got himself fired by like at a table read, he just yelled all of his lines or something like that, just started behaving erratically, and they fired him because Mike Judge and, and Greg Daniels are like, oh, we can get you a job on King of the Hill, don't worry about it. And then he reads the script for Office Space, and he's like, oh yeah, I'm down. And I think he was like the first person cast, um, because he's friends with Mike Judge. But yeah, like um, him and and AJ Naidoo, as Peter's friends, Michael Bolton and Samir Najin and Najjar, who... You know, Michael Bolton named, you know, no relation. I was like, why would he be related to him and have the same name? That's fucking stupid. (laughs) And uh, Samir obviously facing the, you know, no one can pronounce foreign names thing. And to his credit, Paul Wilson, one of the bobs, improvised. Nah, nah, not going to work here anymore. Yeah, and all that shit that he has to go through. And like, these two are like... They're so good, because, like, um, Michael Bolton in particular, he is, like, everyone knows this guy. The guy that is constantly making little threats of, like, oh, they'll find out. If they keep pushing me, oh, I'm going to do something. And then he's still working there to the end, and, like, the two of them just get a different job at an identical company and stuff like that. Like, he's all talk about, you know, oh, I'm going to do this. This is where it all comes up, because... He conceives of this plan to essentially take all the remainders from every transaction that are calculated and just quietly put them into an account. And just over a period of time, it will maybe amass like $10,000 in two years or something like that. And and when and when Peter learns they're going to get fired and his his hypnosis is starting to wear off, he's like, let's do that because you're going to get fired. So let's rip them off. Um, and then it accidentally makes some like three hundred grand in a day or something like that.
1: I like that he's like I misplaced a decimal point, and like yeah. to get that amount of money you have to imagine It's like don't they say it's like hundred thousand for transactions a day?
0: I think he says a thousand, a couple of thousand transactions a day yeah that's a very missed decimal. that's a very missed
1: decimal <laughs> like that's not that's not you've taken it in the roundings Because, obviously the whole point of it is. We want you to take everything that is not like if it's 32, or if it's like $1.32 and then like a whole stream of digits, we want you to ignore the $1.32 and go for all the digits afterwards because that's how money works. Yes. Like,
0: Yeah, they yeah. round everything down and take all the remainder and put it into a little account. And so, like, you know, uh, this all sort of ties together because obviously a lot of the soundtrack is hip hop, but like it seems like a lot of that comes from the fact that Michael Bolton's character. Is super into rap, as we see in the opening scene where he's like singing along loudly, and then a black guy walks past and he turns the stereo right down and locks the door and then as soon as the guy's out of range, he's like doing it again and um we you know the hip hop soundtrack like there's a the, there's two scenes in particular that like really stand out one is we'll talk about in a second, but like when they when they deploy this plan and you've got Down For Whatever playing, and they're trying to make it seem incredibly melodramatic as they pass the disc from person to person. And they just do it in, like, a minute, and no one even gives a shit or even looks in their direction. (laughs) I think it's like, they're
1: acting like they're doing this, like, corporate substitution. It's like, no one is going to notice you plugged in a different floppy disk into a computer. Like, literally (laughs) no one in the office is going to give a shit. Yeah. Like... I mean, obviously, I have to imagine, even at this point in time, with like computers being like a relatively new thing in terms of like everyone having access to them, yeah. like the FBI or whatever, are still going to have the ability to like trace where data came from. Like they'll see that your logon was used to like lo- load this file into the computer, and yeah. there'll be like traces of a username or a computer where the file is written. But well, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, they haven't really thought it through. <laughs> it's the problem. <laughs> they said
1: like they said some people get captured, and it's like. There's there are ways you
0: could have mitigated this somewhat. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and then the more famous one is uh, they destroy the printer. They basically give it a sort of mob movie mafia beatdown with, with with Peter not even getting involved and just watching and handing a baseball bat over. And this is a scene that has been parodied and and copied and like Family Guy being the most famous copy. Fun fact: When I worked in an unnamed establishment that sold product that sometimes gets recalled. We were told to destroy every copy we had of something and we recreated this scene with the right soundtrack and everything in the staff room and we spent a long time trying to get it shot for shot instead of, you know, doing our jobs, which is why I don't work there anymore, probably. Yeah. I can't believe you would destroy a PS5 like that. <laughs> <laughs> I was long gone before those came out. I love that, like, Michael Bolton is, like, on his knees punching the damn thing um, <laughs> and having to be dragged away and, like, slipping on it because he stepped on it so hard and all of that stuff. Yeah, it's, it's just such a good scene. I, I think this... Like, we were talking at the beginning about... Th- that's the scene that would have been all over Twitter, I think, and you would have seen it being, like... People would have been photoshopping in, like, different things that they could be beating down or whatever. Probably the most memorable scene from the movie. I have to... Do you know what my take would be? Mm. I have to wonder,
1: would there be discourse around, is this appropriation to be playing this much gangster rap in this very
0: <sighs> way? But it's played as like... Look, there are white people who like rap music. I'm, I'm one fully, of them, but you're another I've,
1: one. <laughs> I fully understand. However, I think there are some people who don't understand what racial appropriation is. Yes. And get very up in their heads about like what qualifiers is and i'm not even saying that this would be like people who should be able to say that this is racial i'm saying this is like white people would be oh yeah up. yeah it, Ooh, it's,
0: is this is this culturally appropriate for you yeah. to do this it's not what right it's not what right wing people call virtue signaling it's actual virtue signaling where you're getting too wound up about something that's a non-issue instead of yeah and i think the movie acknowledges it with that opening scene where like Dave Herman is embarrassed to... Like, he's only comfortable doing this by himself kind of thing. And, like, they're kind of hanging a hat on it. These guys are actually kind of dorks. Like, when you see them all dancing together... Like, obviously, Samir does that dope-ass fucking break dancing, But, like, other than that, their, like, group dancing is uniformly terrible. Like, Ron Livingston has no rhythm whatsoever. (laughs) So I think that's how you get away with it, is you're like, these guys are nerds. Like, they are nerds who listen to rap music. Yeah, so, like, you know... They accidentally steal too much money, they all argue with each other, they, you know, Peter decides to give it all back in a confession. However, Milton. <laughs> Stephen Root as Milton. Just incredible stuff. Some of the insane mumblings are heroic. Because, you know, you know, he's wearing the giant glasses that he had to wear contact lens special contact lenses so he could see. While wearing them, because they were they're so big. Um,
1: I, in doing this, I've just told myself that Stephen Root's on Succession this season. I'm two episodes behind. Oh no!
0: <laughs> now I know that too. Yeah, just you know, for, he's he's a guy that like I think recently people well I, no I don't know because I mean he's he was on the West Wing and and, and newsroom and stuff like that. But he's yeah, kind direct. of like that one of those faces that like everyone's like oh that guy and like oh he's. He's the fucking idiot and King of the Hill and, and stuff like that. But
1: yeah, thing. I think he starts off quite like in the nineties. He's not this huge person, but obviously he becomes a Cohen guy. Yes, and but he, that's the thing is he can jump between the Cohens. He can do comedy. He can do drama. He's on fucking everything. Like. You can get him into your TV show. Like very rarely is he like a regular, regular where he will be on like every single episode. But he yeah, will like, be Barry
0: a... has got to be one of his biggest recurring roles. I mean, if you discount King of the Hill, which is realistically he's been called in every few weeks to or whatever to just read a bunch of lines and then he goes home. But in terms of like live action acting, Barry's got to be his most recurring role. Possibly, I'm looking at this like he's on Justified for like five seasons as a judge.
1: Um, he obviously does. I mean, I think the first thing I saw, him mean, where he was actually, like, credited as a regular was probably True Blood. He's only in four episodes of that. <laughs> um, obviously, he does, like, whole, an awful lot of voice roles where he's, like, a, a general in that. Like, he's Boyle's dad
0: on Brooklyn 9 Yes, yeah, but then that, again, that's, like, two episodes a season. Like, you know, he's a character actor, basically, until yeah, he and, suddenly and takes and, a few things that are big. good on Barry. Like, yeah. he's obviously, like, the person that you'd probably go to, like... Fourth
1: in terms of being the best actor on that show, but like he gives you that steady hand where but like he's the villain.
0: villain.
1: Like yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. I mean, obviously that's what the show's building to is him being the villain. But like it's still that thing where like he can do the comedy and he can do the drama. Yeah. So he can do that thing rather than like Henry Winkler is obviously there to do the comedy and Bill Hader is there to do the drama, and he's kind of the bridge between yeah yeah,
0: yeah.
1: those those two separate sections of the show, isn't he?
0: Yeah, but this 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 Milton character... This is, so good. So good. Like, obviously a Mike Judge creation based on a co-worker who was like, if they move my desk one more time, I'm going to quit. And, you know, he's basically... I mean, the voice isn't a million miles off, so he's basically just like... He's probably showed him, this is what I did with it, or even done the voice for him. And then he's just done it better, basically. <laughs> because, yeah, I mean, he's mumbling. There's his iconic red stapler, which... The company weren't even making red staplers anymore, and they suddenly had to start making them because of huge demand for red staplers. Um, I mean,
1: the makeup where they give him like the awful acne, yeah,
0: yeah. is
1: is so good. Like he, I think it's like I. So my partner hadn't seen this movie, and by the end of it, she was like really fully sympathising for him and like, <laughs> cheered when he burns down the office because it's like yeah. he is just got like like he is such a shitty get over it in this movie and obviously like there are problems with him when like listening to the radio and (laughs) no i mean more mean in terms of the fact that like by the end of the movie he's threatening to like poison a fucking resort with. oh
0: yeah i mean they it does descend into oh milton's a psychopath territory (laughs) But, but when he's just like the downtrodden guy very funny but like like even something as simple as like they're passing out pieces of cake and he and he he's gonna eat his piece, and then he's scolded by some bossy lady who's like, "No, no, no! Keep passing it down so everybody gets a piece." And he's like well, the last time I didn't get a piece. And he you can see him doing the maths in his head as he's passing down more pieces. And he says little things like, bad ratio of people to cake, and stuff like that. Under, yeah. like, and, and then, I mean, I mean the, the
1: villain of that scene is the fucking woman next to him who just doesn't pass him the piece.
0: Yeah, exactly. Everyone else has done the maths, and they're like, oh, there's three pieces left, so I'm third in the queue, I'll stop passing. But he has to keep... Like, the person next to him has a piece, the person on the other side has a piece, and he's the only one in that line who doesn't have a piece. And... Yeah, like, you, you hear him say, I could set the building on fire twice. Like, he says it to Peter. Like, I love the reveal that he's talking to Peter on the phone when they sit diagonally <laughs> opposite each other. <laughs> I Just
1: feel, look, design. I may
0: have mis- misheard it, but I feel early on he says something to the effect of the squirrels were married. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he does. He does say that. Okay. <laughs> <And it's- laughs> Yeah, and yeah, at the end, I had could a, put strict in the office, office, a window
1: office, and he gets to look outside, and he'd created a story where these girls are married, and it was, yes. like, his happy place. And yeah. they increasingly <laughs> move him into the bowels of this office, use his desk for storage space, forget that they let him go five years ago, but were still paying him.
0: So they just stop paying him and then tell him to talk to payroll, which, again, is very on the nose like oh talk to the different department that don't talk to anyone yeah and like moving him down into the basement turning the lights on while he's still in, off while he's still in there yeah and like that all culminates in fixing Peter's problem in that he slips that note under the door of Lumberg's office like in the dead of the night and then Milton goes in to retrieve his stapler obviously recovers the note and gets access to all the money, burns the company down, (laughs) and then spends the money going to Mexico, (laughs) like, threatening to poison the resort for giving him a, he asks for a pina colada and he gets a margarita with too much salt and stuff, I don't know, but, yeah, and it kind of all loops back around again with Peter, because, like, not only does the fire let them get away with it, a subplot that they actually plant the seed of very early on, because his neighbour Lawrence, played by Diedrich Bader, one of the one of the better Batmen, who is, you know, it's just this generic, like, white trash character, like, he's yelling through the wall, he's coming over to be like, oh look, tits on TV, kind of thing. And it's like a breast exam for, like, check yourself for lumps or something like that. And he's got the moustache and the mullet, and he's got the thick, sort of, redneck accent kind of thing, but he asks him right at the beginning, oh, when you're on your site, does anyone ever say... Sounds like you've got a case of the Mondays. And he's like, no, I think you'd get your ass kicked if you said anything like that. And then, (laughs) at the end of the movie, he's just working with him. And he's doing manual labour. And he seems much happier. He's outdoors. He's just doing something that isn't staring at a fucking screen in a chair. And, yeah, he seems happier. And it is a very sort of grass is greener, sort of simplistic look at things. Like, you know, I... I started where I am now in in like an admin role that was just do the same task over and over all day. And at the time, I was incredibly bored of it. And now I'm in a position where like, I have not enough time in the day. And I say to myself, oh God, I wish I was doing the admin stuff again because I would love to just have no responsibility and just have to do the same task over and yeah, over. But and I know you, I would. Could
1: you imagine if Peter's still doing the construction job like 20 years later when COVID hits? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> now I'm a frontline worker. God, I wish I was working an office job where I could take a laptop home with me. Exactly. Like,
0: and, and like, uh, yeah, going back to that, like if you could see it six months on, I think Peter probably very much falls out of love with his, oh, manual labour's good for me kind of thing. Yeah, he's throwing his back out and there's no workman's comp for like, Yeah, and it's like, it's, you know. But, you know. Yeah. He's still with Joanne. For everyone, and and Michael and Samir get jobs at the the next company over, and in the background that Tom character like tried to kill himself, didn't go through with it, and then gets hit by a car and gets like seven like gets like a million dollars out of it or something. So everyone's happy. (laughs) My partner loved his job. she <laughs> <laughs> like, just
1: like, Loved it. Was like, this is a great idea. <laughs> I, <laughs> I would, I <laughs> would buy one. <laughs> she literally voiced out loud when it happened, like, "Wow, that's actually a great idea." And then the and next time she like, saw it, that's the worst idea I've ever heard. This is the biggest piece of shit.
0: <laughs> it's not awful, but it's not great. <laughs> it just it just needs some iteration i think think his prototype is okay it needs some color variation he's got green next to green which isn't great but you know we can work on that but yeah i mean it's a simple little movie it's by no means a five star movie it's got its problems like i said i kind of agree with my judge that that third act needs reworking and you kind of just want to push carefree peter to its limits and see like it's
1: it's the nice kind of specificity in the movie that obviously gets it to latch on, but this is more memorable than other movies from 1999. I imagine more people are probably going like, I would rather sit down and watch Office Space than American Beauty, yeah. uh, even, even before the Kevin Spacey of it all. Yes. So, yeah, I think I think it's, it's a very... It's a gracious, rewatchable, small-budget, independent movie that, that tapped into a very specific mindset of people that, like, if they had... If they had advertised this movie properly, I have to imagine there is a group of people that probably would have like seen it in cinemas. The kind of people who would be more willing to see this movie probably aren't the ones who were working in office jobs <laughs> in 1999. Because I, I have to imagine, like, there's a lot of people who are like, into movies who are in creative industries.
0: Yeah.
1: And so you're all or, or, like they're not, maybe not working office jobs. And so you get this like weird thing where, like, do they like have the like the 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 boomer stereotype of oh? Do you know what a proper day's work is? You've never done it
0: your life. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, like the studio were like, this film isn't American Pie. Like you can't compress the jokes into like ten second sound bites that cut together into an exciting two minute trailer. Like that the beauty is in. That it is kind of plodding and hyper specific and tonally accurate and gray and like the the, the first hour, half hour of this movie is boring on purpose. Yes, exactly. Yeah, and like so they I think they just didn't get how to market it quite frankly. But uh, yeah, I mean spinning out of it like Mike Judge is allegedly offered creative control of the Office and turns it down because some idiot at the studio who at uh, NBC who's offering this is. They've included, like, a, a marketing pitch of, like, The Office Succeeds, where Office Space failed, or whatever. And I was like, oh, I'm probably going to pass on this then if you think that my movie failed. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... I wonder, would he have done that with Greg Daniels? Because
1: obviously he does King of the Hill with Greg Daniels. Yeah, exactly. like, I wonder if it, um, like, Is that what the original plan would have been? It would have been they co-show ran it together. Probably,
0: yeah, probably. And, like, it's just such a different vibe, though. Like, it's like, Office Space couldn't have a Michael Scott in it. You know, it's yeah. That is what if Milton were the main character is like almost. <laughs> it's like, like yeah. They've taken they've taken that. The, it's what if Gary Cole was incompetent? Because that that thing is like. Well, I office, think Gary Cole is incompetent. They just don't make such a song and dance about it. Sure, it's, but like, but it's like, I guess it's looking at the kind
1: of there's no middle management blockage in the office because no. it's more like it, it's a smaller office and like they had to take a point of view character who is larger than life, as opposed to office space where, like, the main character has to be completely down to earth. It's, yeah. it's the office if Jim was the main character.
0: Yeah, exactly. And, and, and yeah, and if you relegate all the silly stuff to one side character and the whole thing is just Jimming the camera, so it's like, it probably wouldn't be as good. But, like, that's the reason this is a movie instead of a TV show. Like, there's not enough in it to do this every week for however many seasons The Office went for. But, right. yeah, still still enjoy it. Okay. So, that's Office Space, baby. We only have two episodes left, and Ben already told you what next week's is at the start. It is all about my mother. So that's next week, our penultimate episode. Until then, though, Benjamin, one question. You already know it. I'm sure you've come up with great material for this. Will there be movies?
1: Yes, but only if you put a um, cover letter on the TPS report. Ah, Bye, everyone. (laughs)